two objects cannot occupy the same point in space at the same moment in time. The corner races at you. You have perhaps a crisis of identity. Am I a sportsman? Or a competitor? If you get into one of my cars, you get in the wind. Slow. And so? You're going broke. How? You spend more than you made. So what do I do? Win the Mille Miglia, Enzo. Or you are out of business. This is a gun pointed at her head. You should assign me control of your stock. I have to have all the cards in my hand. Well, half the cards are in my hand. All of us are racers. It's our deadly passion. Our terrible joy. No one drives me back. How can I stay away? Objects cannot occupy the same point in space at the same moment in time. When so? Go beat the hell out of them. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Ture and Derek Wong. So this week we are talking about director Michael Mann's latest film and passion project, Ferrari. The movie stars Adam Driver as race car magnate Enzo Ferrari, Penelope Cruz as Laura Ferrari, and Shailene Woodley as his mistress, Lena Lardi. Happy New Year, fellas. First episode of the year. Yes, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, ringing in the New Year with our, I guess, technically second Michael Mann episode, right? That's right. We did cover Michael Mann's version of Red Dragon Manhunter on our Hannibal pod a couple years back. I think this has been the only feature film he's directed since that episode we did. I don't really recall what all our opinions of him were. Are you guys Michael Manheads? Uh, I'm not a head. I definitely haven't seen all his stuff. I know you're a big Michael Manhead. I like his stuff. Really liked Manhunter. Some of it's not great. Like Public Enemies, whatever. Collateral's great. I liked Ali. I actually never seen The Insider. I like Michael Mann. I wouldn't say I love him, but I like his stuff. I won't say I've never been disappointed. Public Enemies was, again, kind of meh. I don't know if Black Hat was any good, but he's got a lot of bangers. I think he's got enough really good movies with, like, Heat, Thief. I know you're a big Miami Vice fan. Stand up there with the best of them, I think. Yeah, what about you, Derek? I would say that I am not... Not that I'm not a fan. I feel like this is one of those directors that certain groups of people love. This is, like, one of their 
favorite directors. Yeah, smart people and cool people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I guess I am neither smart nor cool. Because uh, um, I don't know. I didn't really grow up watching too many of his movies. I haven't really caught up on too many of his movies. I've seen some of the bigger ones. You know, I've seen Heat. I've seen Collateral. Uh, Last of the Mohicans. I haven't seen Miami Vice. I really haven't seen anything between Collateral and Ferrari. So I'm not too familiar with this filmography. I didn't see Black Hat, but it's not a movie I hear anyone ever talk about. And then like Public Enemies, as I said, it was pretty disappointing. I don't know that you're missing much. I know people love Miami Vice, but I haven't even seen that. So I really haven't seen a Michael Mann movie since Collateral. Wow. This is like almost 20 years. Yeah, Missing out on a lot. I'm a big Public Enemies defender, too. Really? Yeah. I saw it, and I don't remember a goddamn thing about it. That just doesn't <laughs> bode well, right? If it's a Michael Mann movie, right? I can't say I've ever seen a Scorsese film, and I'm like, oh, I forgot what that one's about. You know what I mean? But, like, Public Enemies, I'm like, oh, what was this? I think his late period stuff people bristle against, but I also think it's probably his most fascinating stuff, especially with Public Enemies and Black Hat. Which are really? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. They're oh, really right. interesting. Okay. The Black Hat Defender has logged on. Yeah. Right. So I actually just copped the 4K re release of Black Hat, which has the director's Dude, cut on what? it too. Yeah. They just released it. I'm excited to watch that. See, I trashed this without seeing it. You really like Black Hat? I really like Black Hat a lot. There are enough people that like Black Hat that they released a 4K re release, right? There has to be an audience for sometimes for these things to get re-releases so i guess there's an audience right i don't know man giant box office bomb earned less than 20 million budget to 70 mixed reviews i don't know man yeah huge bomb that was chris hemsworth's first foray after thor right mm -hmm. like he had already become thor and then yeah, I, he was I already remember. thor yeah Black that's 2015 remember, yeah. and he was mm -hmm. thor in 2011 so he'd done thor he'd done star trek yeah so his digital era really started with Collateral, and he's done some really interesting things. Miami Vice has aged magnificently with its digital backdrop. People pan that movie for being ugly and looking like a digital camcorder, but those things don't exist anymore. So if you go back and watch something like that, something like Miami Vice that was shot with early digital technology, it really like becomes a vibe kind of movie where it really captures that nighttime florida feel with the grain all the artifacting it looks really really interesting i think there's something about his later movies that capture like the in between the lines stuff of human feeling that is just different from his earlier stuff i think heat last mohicans ali the insider that stuff is a little more accessible and i think people get those movies right but with his later stuff people are like what the fuck is all this stuff you know and Public Enemies, which is the gangster film with Johnny Depp as Dillinger and Christian Bale as Purvis, that movie people hate it too. They're like, this is weird. Why is it shot on digital? It looks so out of place and like the camera is so intimate and low to the ground and like shaky cam. But that digital photography is a choice. Having that movie be shot on digital as these Cops and gangsters are duking out in the 20s. The modern era of bureaucracy and surveillance is like coming up around them and using that digital medium to like capture that. It's really, really interesting. 
I think like a lot of man stuff you need to go back and revisit, especially today. It's really cool stuff. What is very clear is that you have put in a lot of perspective and thought into <laughs> Michael Mann movies way more than I have ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Honestly, hearing you talk about these things, I've not seen Public Enemies. I've not seen Miami Vice. It, it does actually interest me to maybe actually go back and see some of these now. I'm going to go watch Miami Vice. I, I don't know about Public <laughs> <Yeah>. Enemies. <laughs> I mean, it might make interesting visual choices, but it's kind of a nothing. Because mm. I haven't seen Miami Vice either. I buy that maybe Miami Vice is visually interesting enough to, like, just be a vibe movie. I've heard that from people before. I don't know. Public Enemies, I saw that movie, man. It doesn't hit. <laughs> you saw that in 2009, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw it in theaters when it came out. Yeah. You think it improves on a rewatch? I think it does. Especially when things don't really look like that anymore, other than other Michael Mann movies. Mm. Okay. I was going to say, for this podcast and, you know, for this recording, I actually went back and rewatched both Heat and Collateral. I actually really do like Collateral. I forgot how much of an LA movie it is. Looking back at it, I'm like, oh, I've been there. Oh, I've been at that same station, you know, that same train station during the NSET piece. You know, it reminds me of like the SNL skit where they're using the lingo with um, the Californians, like, you know, hopping on the 110 <laughs> over the 405, whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Max uses that lingo with uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah. Oh, I forgot how much of an LA movie this is. As much as, you know, it's really cool kind of interior two-hander between like Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Generally really like Collateral. Yeah. One of the great Tom Cruise performances. One of the few instances of him playing the villain. And he's mm-hmm. so, so good in that. His name is uh, Vincent Collateral. That's his <laughs> Vincent Collateral. <laughs> uh, are you guys big fans of Heat? Oh, I love Heat. I love Heat. Mm. Sounds like you're a bit cold on Heat, Derek. I don't know if I can trust you. Rewatching Heat, I was like, this movie's good. I do think it's quite long. It's long. It is very long. But I do love saying that it's one of the loudest movies I've ever heard. You know what I mean? Like, the LA shootout is... The sound design of that shootout is so cool. Yeah, that's like the start of his yeah. real obsession with the sound design of his movies. Those gunshots, when you first hear them, they'll blow you out of your seat. Yeah. It is really, really loud, a really loud movie. And, you know, a lot of people try to recreate the heat shootout to no avail. There's just something about it, man. Mm-hmm. They don't go loud enough. <laughs> yeah, they just <laughs> they don't, don't go, go loud, loud enough. Yeah. They just need to turn it up to 11. What about you, Amir? Are you, you a big fan of heat? Yeah, I like heat. I mean, I go deep on Michael Mann. I watched everything he's ever made. Have you guys watched Tokyo Vice, by the way? He only directed the pilot. No. But, oh, really? The HBO show that was on last year. No, that was at that time when uh, what's his name was a little like sketch, and I was like, I don't. Yeah, know if I need to watch Ansel show. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if I would need to separate watch it. art from artist, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's a little hard. But that's getting a second season too, right? I believe so. I think it actually is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Michael Mann's coming back in any capacity, but yeah, I thought I heard they're getting a second season. I mean, I've seen everything from Michael Mann from Thief, The Keep. The Jericho Mile, The Last of the Mohicans. Ooh, I haven't seen The Keep. What's his best? His best movie, Heat or Miami Vice, Collateral. Wow, you think Miami Vice is up there yeah. with Heat, huh? All right, I gotta see that movie. Dude, that movie cold opens with Numb Encore. Come on, man. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Uh, <laughs> we can park Jay-Z. Uh, all right, let's move up to the old heads there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You might have just convinced me to watch this movie. <laughs> you can tell that I'm really excited to talk about Ferrari. You are, you are. When did you guys see this? I just saw it yesterday. You had some people join you in your show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I saw Ferrari with my parents, and it was just them. The theater was empty. 
Wow. Oh, really? That's awesome. Well, we went at like 3.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> in White Plains? No, no. Down here in Charleston. Oh, in Charleston. Oh, okay, okay. You didn't come back to New York for No, years. no. They came down here, so. Oh, sick. All right, I can see why that's empty. <laughs> it was like 3.30 p.m. on a Wednesday, you know? Because I was a little worried. I was like, oh, this is like super empty, but... The time of day, the time of the week, the movie has been out a little bit. It's probably fine. I actually didn't look it up. How is it doing? I don't know either. I never took a gauge to this movie and like see how it's doing. I don't think it's doing that well. Just looking, I think it's only done twenty million on a ninety-five million budget. Oof. I don't know. Just the way Michael Mann movies are, man. Sixteen million the first week. Apparently, it's in big trouble. I think the marketing has done it no favors. Where, you know, every trailer has that one tagline. It's like, it's the best car movie, best racing movie of all time, which it definitely is not. First of all, it's <laughs> barely a racing movie. There's racing in it, obviously. It's a movie about Enzo Ferrari. But I wouldn't say that's the meat of the movie. Although I do like the depictions of racing in the movie. Mm-hmm. But selling it as that is kind of misleading i would say so yeah i saw this a couple days ago as well and i actually saw this with my wife and this is like the first movie we watched together in a while <laughs> she's been really busy you know trying to get her phd and she finally finally did that. hey congratulations I know. yeah so she like defended or whatever i mean she turned in her dissertation she got her conferral letter you know she's officially done cool that's awesome. She was like, oh, I can watch more movies with you. I'm like, okay, do you want to come watch Ferrari with me? <laughs> and so we went together and our theater was also relatively empty. There was only two other couples in the theater with us. So if I learned anything, Michael Mann Ferrari movie is a perfect date movie, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Funny you should say that. I'm taking Ashley on Saturday. So. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> kind of an empty crowd, but still enjoyable that you know, there's at least a couple people in there to share the experience with. When and where did you see this, Jeff? I saw this closing night of New York Film Festival. So it's been a while since I've seen it, but packed theater just because it was closing night. And I think cinephiles really, really do like Michael Mann. So the energy is quite different from like a near empty theater. I'm excited to see how it plays out this weekend. I do believe that when I bought the tickets, there was no one else in there, which is not promising. It's already the Thursday before the screening, the weekend, so we'll see how that goes. But I don't know. I don't think this movie is going to do that well. It's okay. It's a romantic outing for just you and Ashley. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. It's probably not going to do well. Part of the reason I say this, like, I guess, like, as you were alluding to, Jeff, his movies tend not to maybe necessarily do that great. I guess Last of the Mohicans probably the big exception. Mm -hmm. Also because I was only interested in seeing this because it was a Michael Mann movie. I wasn't super psyched about the concept of Ferrari. Mm. I feel like the average person who hears about this, unless they're like super into Michael Mann, is going to be like, uh, all right. Yeah, like I wasn't even super into Ford v. Ferrari, the James Mangold movie from two years ago. Mm. You know, like you, I was mainly interested because this was a Michael Mann movie. And doubly, it's his passion project. He's been marinating this one for years. He's been working on this through like his last couple movies too gone through a bunch of different casts christian bale was once attached to it hugh jackman numi rapace was attached to it at one point i think right before adam driver and penelope cruz and shailene woodley were announced and i found that out because one of the trades used ai to write one of their articles and it said ferrari starring hugh jackman and numi rapace oh my gosh caught red-handed there which is very very funny 
But yeah, so I saw this quite a while back, and I'm excited to see this again this weekend. What did you guys think of this movie? Well, first of all, what did your parents think of this movie, Amir? <laughs> uh, they liked it. They liked it. Everyone enjoyed this movie, including me. Okay, great. We really enjoyed this one. Shame the theater was empty. More people should be going out to see this one. It was really good. I thought it was really, really compelling. Yeah. It sounds weird to call it a fun movie. It was kind of fun. It was fun to watch. There was a lot of just funny, entertaining stuff in this movie, and it's kind of technical, too. Yeah. Like filmmaking-wise, not like car-wise. Although I'm sure it is car-wise, too. I just don't know enough about cars to like pick up all of the car fetish stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, me neither. Like yeah. I can't really catch it if it was in there. But it definitely wasn't overwhelming, right? No, no, no. You know what I mean? It wasn't like um, I all don't about know. engineering or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't Cameron movie and his like killer tech fetishism. This is not quite that. But yeah, really like this. What about you guys? I can already feel like I know what Jeff's going to say. Amir, it sounds like you really like this. I thought this was. Just okay. Just okay, <laughs> basically. I don't think it's bad. I don't think there's anything like outright makes me hate this movie, but I don't know. Something just didn't stick by the end of it. Like, I don't know if I just wasn't really connected with Adam Driver as this Ferrari character. I wasn't honestly too connected to this love triangle, right? Or this relationship triangle between Ferrari, Shailene Woodley's character of Lena, and Penelope Cruz's character of Laura. I don't know if that wasn't just compelling enough or just like the story didn't seem to really go anywhere with that. Like it just felt very stagnant. I do think that some of the car stuff is really cool. I mean, there are some scenes I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about that were shocking and exciting in a certain way. I especially love some of, I don't know if they're considered quieter moments, but like some of just the moments between like him and his drivers. There's one particular scene that I think is really great where it just takes place in a church. There are some visual things and just some set pieces and scenes that are really great. But overall, I kind of left the theater and I wasn't really thinking about this movie too much. And Jeff's going to get on me for that. <laughs> I'm not going to get on you for I'm that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But yeah, what did you think, Jeff? This is one of my favorite movies of the year, actually. I'm obviously biased because I'm like a man head and a man scholar, I guess. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I just love this movie so much. And a lot of the things that I think you, Derek, bristled against, I think are probably by design. Not probably by design, by design, because I was reading like interviews and watching the talking heads with Michael Mann and Adam Driver, and they were definitely talking about these things. You know, how you left the theater and you just didn't really feel some sort of way about the characters or Enzo Ferrari himself. And, you know, this movie is really about the different facets of a single man that never really reconcile with each other. And that's part of the appeal of the movie for me. And it paints like a very human portrait of this ambitious, ruthless, cutthroat entrepreneur who's never standing still, always moving forward. But there's also like this tenderness within him with his mistress and with his estranged wife that paints a very real portrait of a person. And the fact that it's not squeak clean and, you know, you get easy resolutions by the end of the movie, that's by design. And there's a lot of contradictions and friction in this movie that I think is beautiful and very, very interesting to me. I think we'll get into that 
And, you know, I don't think the performances are perfect in this. I think Adam Driver's Italian accent is getting sillier and sillier by each Italian he plays (laughs) since House of Gucci. Yeah, House of Gucci 2 Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) (laughs) But I say this a lot about biopics. It's about evocation. It's not about imitation. And there are a lot of, like you said, Derek, like quiet moments where the performances, especially by Driver, really, really shine. And I think Shailene Woodley's kind of a nothing in this movie. But Penelope Cruz murders this Dude, role. she's so good. She's so good. I thought she was fucking Italian by the end of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> she was so good in this movie. I thought she did better than Adam Driver, and I love Adam Driver in this movie. I think, unlike Derek, I was pretty invested in the, I don't know, love triangle or whatever it was. Just because, I guess, of the light it shed on the main character, on Enzo Ferrari. And I guess, as far as walking in the movie, feeling nothing or, like, not thinking about it, I get that. In a way, it's, like, not heavy or substantial. And it ends kind of abruptly. But it didn't end abruptly and you're like, oh, thank God. It ends abruptly and you're like, wait, where's the rest of the story? Like, I want more. I don't know. I was hooked enough that I even wanted more at the end of a two-hour movie. You know what I mean? If they'd gone into the details of the whole, I don't know, legal case and how he gets his company back and whatever, whatever, I would have been into it. Like, it was a good movie. You know what I mean? Like, if at the end of a movie that ends abruptly, you're still like, I could have seen more, I think it's a good sign. So basically, this movie isn't really a biopic, right? It's not going from Enzo's birth to his death or anything like that. It's really one single year of his life. But does a biopic have to cover their entire life? No, it doesn't. I'm just saying it's not your typical one, right? All right, fair. I think the temptation would be to be like, oh, how did Enzo become so obsessed with cars and like, How did he become so ruthless? You know, like that kind of temptation is there to make a movie like that. But this is basically just Enzo Ferrari in 1957. He's trying to save his company, you know, fending off buyers for Ferrari, training the drivers and leading up to the 1957 Mille Mille, right? The thousand mile race in Italy. And there's a reason that they chose the 1957 race because it's an infamous one. And we will get into that. And that goes into some of the shocking things that Derek was talking about. And the love triangle aspect is that Enzo and his wife, Laura, played by Penelope Cruz, they are equal business partners in Ferrari, and they run the company together. But they have marital problems. And Adam Driver's Enzo has a mistress in Shailene Woodley's Lena Lardy, and they have a secret son that Laura doesn't know about. That's one of the main tensions in this movie. Yeah, so there's definitely racing in it. There's plenty of racing. It's not like no racing at all. But I think, again, the marketing saying it's one of the best car movies ever made and the best racing movie ever made, I think that's a misnomer. And I don't think it does the movie any favors, right? Mm -hmm. I think you kind of already gave a synopsis. You said it's just really about this one year in these people's lives. The only other thing I'd add is that Ferrari is failing, right? Uh, The company is failing. They're not selling enough commercial cars to fund the racing business. They sell like, you know, 150 cars a year to people who are like, I don't know, kings and shakes, but they don't Mm -hmm. sell enough mass production to, and this is 19, what, 57? So they're just not selling enough cars in a year to finance the racing operation of the business. So the pressure is to sell to someone like Ford or Fiat, where they are successful in their mass produced cars for your regular Joes, right? Mm-hmm. The racing side of the business needs to win a race in order to be able to finance the, like, the other half of the business, essentially, mm-hmm. and, and save the entire company. So Enzo Ferrari, he's, you know, 
He's an ex-race car driver himself, so he just has this huge love for the racing end. Yeah. I guess we could start with something that you already kind of brought up, Jeff, and that's Penelope Cruz's portrayal of Laura. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think that she's great in this movie. I might even agree with you that she's probably maybe the best part of this movie. I don't know if I really quite liked her arc. You know, when this movie kind of began and you start to understand their relationship, they're in a relationship where they understand that they're not in love anymore. And this is just a business transaction, right? They are just trying to keep face, you know, for the company. And they're both leading this company. But then throughout the movie, it very much feels like she is a woman scorned and is like, you know, trying to track down this mistress. It really wants you to think that like, oh, she's going to fuck up this relationship because she's jealous of this other family Ferrari's having. And ultimately, she doesn't fuck up their business partnership. She makes the right choice and cashes the money for the business in a sense, right? To help Enzo recover after this horrific crash at the Millimilla, right? But I don't Mm. know. The movie always seemed to play it as though she's like a woman that's on the edge of betraying Enzo and ultimately didn't. I kind of wish it was never played like that. I kind of wish it was this movie about these two people having to figure out this relationship where they're not in love anymore and they are business partners. See, I liked that tension there where you don't know what she's going to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I agree that they weren't in love anymore. I think their relationship is deteriorating or had deteriorated such that they are mostly separate. But I think there's still a lot of passion there. I get it. Yeah, because there is that scene in the middle where they're like fighting and all of a sudden they just have sex, right? And I get it. But for me, I never read that as love. I read that as, like you said, passion. This instance where they're going at each other and they're figuring it out, it brings up some kind of sexual tension between them. But I do believe, or at least I felt, you know, they weren't really in love anymore. Or especially Enzo was like, I think, happy in a situation where he has this separate family on a villa where he sometimes stays the night and has to sneak away and wants to be with his son. I don't know. I don't think I believe that they were in love anymore. Yeah, I still think that there was love between the two characters. But, you know, there's those fissures in the relationship that are never going to be healed. And mostly it's from the death of their son, right? Dino, yeah. who was Enzo Ferrari's like actual protege, right? Like. Mm-hmm. He was working at Ferrari, and he was like one of the engineers and designers, and he died of muscular dystrophy at the age of 24. This really broke apart their marriage, and they never really recovered from that. So I don't think that means that there's no love between the two characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's the main source of tension in Enzo and Laura's relationship. And I love the scenes where they visit Dino's grave, the mm-hmm. mausoleum. Mm-hmm. Like, you really get a difference of how the two grieve. Adam Driver's Enzo goes to the mausoleum, and he talks to Dino like he's still alive, like he's talking to his spirit, and he's talking about his failures and how the people under his employer are dying and all these things. He's, like, pouring his heart out to him. But then Laura goes to the mausoleum. She can barely speak, and all she does is stare at the wall, and, like, the tears are streaming down her face. Just two very, very different modes of grieving and dealing and they don't even go together anymore right that's how fragmented their marriage is like he goes and then when he leaves laura comes in it's deeply deeply sad i think and that was really affecting to me i really did like that and then speaking of enzo losing employees in his life the big competitor for enzo ferrari throughout this movie is maserati correct Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah. And one of the like the first set pieces in this movie is that uh, I guess Maserati sets a new track record, right? For how fast their car can go around the specific track. And the scene that I was alluding to earlier was that, you know, there's this juxtaposition of going to church and like racing. And while Maserati is trying to beat the track record, Enzo's at church. I guess the church is close enough to the track that they can hear the starting guns the starting gun go off so like three guys are in church they're ready and they hear the shot they start the timer and i thought that scene was so great goes back to what you're saying jeff like this is not really a racing movie like that part is not really focused on the racing it's more of like the Mm -hmm. tension and like are they gonna beat the time and like you know they're not focusing in church and all they can do is like focus on their stopwatches i thought that was a great scene yeah i mean the movie isn't all about the depictions of the racing, but racing is in the blood of this movie, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, it's in the blood of this town, Modena. Racing is religion in this movie, where, like you said, the priest is talking about engines and cars in his sermon, right? And then the churchgoers are bringing their stopwatches (laughs) to church. It's so great. I love that shit. It's so cool. It's such a great little bit of world building where everything just revolves around motorsports in the town of Modena. I I fucking Mm -hmm. loved it. It's so cool. And then, of course, that leads to... Because Maserati does beat that time, and Enzo Ferrari wants to take the time back. So he's like, what are we going to do this? We're going to do this right now. He gets his driver out to the course and tries to beat it. And the guy doesn't because, you know, something stalls in his car and it crashes. That was like, I guess, shocking moment number one. I like the way Michael Mann frames it, but it is a little comical. Like, there's a point where the car crashes, and it does a slow-mo, almost like stop camera. And you see the guy hanging in the middle of the air, the car's in the uh, in the middle of the air, and then it just kind of cuts, and the, and the guy's just, like, tumbling. And, and you know the guy's dead. Mm-hmm. It really shows, like, the horrific nature of, you know, because these cars were not as safe as they are now, right? And there was no hood to them. Clearly, there was no seatbelt. There's not the safety precautions, I guess, we have of today's world. You know, one small crash going, you know, over 100-something miles per hour, you're dead. Yeah. Adam Driver, like, he talks about this in the movie, right? When he's giving his drivers the pep talk, Mm -hmm. he's like, I have friends who've died in the car. These drivers, you know, he says, your friend dies on Wednesday, and you swear you're never going to race again. You're back on the track by Sunday. That really goes into his mentality and his ruthlessness. And the guy dies and his replacement is on the track like the next day, right? Mm -hmm. Next in line. Well, his replacement is like there to try to audition. And then Enzo's like, no, 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 don't talk to me right now. And then when the guy dies, he's like, hey, show up on Monday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was pretty hard. Yeah, Yeah, it's ruthless. And, you know, the juxtaposition is that contrast is so stark between Enzo as a family man, not maybe to like Penelope Cruz's Laura, but to his mistress and their love child he gently gets out of bed to not wake lena right Mm -hmm. and then he tucks his son back into bed and kisses him on the forehead and then he sneaks out of the house he pushes the car so that the engine doesn't start in the driveway to not wake them up but then he's walking stone-faced next to all these drivers who are pretty much half of them are gonna die it's just such a stark juxtaposition between the softer family man and this ruthless entrepreneur and those two sides of him that never really get reconciled within the movie. And just, I really, really like that. I thought that was such an interesting contrast 
to make. From reading about the 1957 season of racing, the mortality rate was 50%. Like half of these drivers wow. actually did die. Get I wasn't like out of here. exaggerating. Yeah. Really? It's so, so dangerous. That's so insane. And so I was like, every driver thinks it's not going to be me, but half of them, <laughs> you do die. <laughs> and he's the one responsible for putting them in those cars, right? He says, like, in the metal I made, right? When the drivers yeah. die, yeah. right? So great character stuff there. Sorry, one thing about the dying in the races and the racing stuff is it's interesting because it is in 1957. How relatively slow the cars are going. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know anything about racing sports, but Ferrari says something about if you give it its head, it'll go, like, 130. I don't know that much about modern racing cars, but I'm pretty sure they go, like, double that speed or something. Like, modern race cars are so insanely fast. It's funny because I just watched Gran Turismo on Netflix a couple days ago. A video game movie. The Neil Camp movie. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, like, modern race cars, and if you look at the speedometer, they're, like, Going 360 miles an hour. So it's a big, big difference. difference. But even if you're going 130 and you're not wearing a seatbelt and you flip Fly into like car, yeah. the median, <laughs> oh, you're, yeah, you're no, gone, no, no. dude. Yeah, no, no one's saving you, especially not with 1957 medicine. Jesus. Yeah. You know, the average speed of the winning racer in the 1957 uh, millier, I don't know how to say it. The winner, like the average speed was like 94 miles an hour, right? Oh, mm. wow. Yeah, I've got 94 down the freeway. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right, yeah. In a minivan, you know? Right, yeah, exactly. And these are like the cutting-edge, top-of-the-line cars, racing cars of that time. I just thought that was interesting. I was going to say that that is one thing I did like, this portrayal of this man having to, like, you know, live two lives. I do like this portrayal, and I, I do give a lot of credit for Driver, this man who's torn between these two lives, right? The man who has to be very stern and is trying to run this successful business for not only for himself, but his, you know, estranged wife and his current family, but still be this family man, you're saying, right, Jeff? Like the guy mm -hmm. who's considerate of Lena and Piero. And, you know, one of the through lines of this movie that is kind of a sticking point for uh, Laura's character and then resolutions by the end is like you know laura doesn't want piero to take his name while mm -hmm. she's alive right like that's like a big sticking point for her in, in order for them to still be business partners but i don't know if she wants but you know it's the thing that she keeps bringing up to this movie is he a ferrari or is he a lardy it feels very much like what it's like a parallel a parallel to, to yeah, the two sides of ferrari right yeah, 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 yeah. yeah pulling him towards his life as a family man and his life as a business mogul right the whole thing is very game of thrones right it's about legacy and inheritance and bastards right and like yeah yeah you know, <laughs> i kind of wonder what is the bastard last name for italy <laughs> <laughs> that like non-reconciliation is written all over the movie right you know like at one point enzo says to him enzo build a wall right he talks to himself he tells him to build a wall within himself he says on more than one occasion two objects cannot occupy the same point in space right mm -hmm. that's all over the movie and i love that the movie puts up these partitions and that's just how real people are i just love the depiction of this steel-willed auto baron who's sending people to his deaths but he also has you know, soft spots and flaws and somber failures and all these things. It's, it's great. I love all that stuff. Yeah. And that line you're talking about, I think that's when he's doing one of his pep talks, right? With his drivers. Uh huh. Those moments are great. I love those moments. They're so good. He's 
vocalizing very much like who he is, right? To his guys and his methodologies and his ideals. I do really like those moments too in the movie. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to bring up before we kind of get to the big race scene and the climax of this movie? Yeah, I wanted to mention just Penelope Cruz again. I love the scene where she shoots at him. I just love yeah. her like boiling, roiling anger in this movie and her like yeah, she's so fiery. potential to just upset everything. Because of her, like, passion and anger. Like, she's clearly not someone to be fucked with, right? Yeah. She has that, like, bank clerk quivering in his drawers or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a super fun performance to watch. As much as she's, like, a fiery Latin woman stereotype or something, she's also, like, made really human by, like... A good performance. <laughs> yeah, by a good performance and the destruction of her marriage. You can see how she's just, like, a devastated, broken woman because of the death of her kid. And it's really good. They think she has a great fight with Adam and Driver, where she's like, you don't even give a fuck about Dean or whatever. You have your other family, your other son. Like, just really just going right for the jugular, you know? Pretty brutal stuff. I think she gives a great performance this whole movie. Yeah, performance goes a long, long way. Because, you know, that's like a stock character, right? The put-upon wife. But she really makes that character sing. It's a great, great performance. I wish that there was more attention for her. Yeah. For... Agreed. Like awards this season. Like, I don't really give a shit about that, but I do think it's awards worthy. And I love the opera scene in this movie where everyone in the town is going to the opera and every character has like a different reaction to the opera. I really, really like that. Enzo with his son. Lena tells Enzo she's pregnant. Ferrari's mom. And like when her son goes off to war and then Laura just recalling memories of the family. It's just really, really good. I love the opera scene. Enzo singing the lines of the opera with their son, who's now dead. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. brutal. And then you see Philip Cruz without all the makeup, mm-hmm. prosthetics and whatever. She looks 20 years younger. You know what I mean? Like, it's great. Yeah. Really good. Oh, that's another thing. I thought the prosthetics and makeup in this was really good, too, right? You see Adam Driver and you're like, that's kind of Adam Driver. Like, you know it's Adam Driver, but you're kind of like, is it? I thought the makeup and costume were really good. They're good. They're good. They make Penelope Cruz look not Penelope Cruz. She looks, I don't know, how she should look. They yeah. do a good job. It just does a really good job tamping down her, I don't know, gorgeousness and like making her look like a human being. Do you know what I mean? I thought the makeup and prosthetic stuff was good. Yeah. Nothing stands out about the makeup or the prosthetic, so that's a win in my book, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I thought the actors didn't look too much like themselves, which is good. It worked to make them look less like themselves, which I thought was the point, right? Patrick Dempsey jump scare in this movie. Well, not jump scare, because he's a very, very handsome man. He's one of the drivers, right? He is Piero Taruffi. Once he takes his helmet off, you know exactly which one. <laughs> yeah. Silver Fox, Patrick Dempsey. But yeah, I mean, getting into that last race, it's kind of funny to me that the movie makes it seem like Ferrari's got five drivers in this race and Maserati's got one. And the odds are like more in Ferrari's favor to win this just because he has more people, right? One little thing, you know, your guy's dead. He's not continuing. I think Maserati has three drivers and Ferrari has four or something. It's not as lopsided. Okay. Okay. I don't think it's as easily noticeable just because I think the depiction is a little one way. You really see more of Ferrari than the Maserati drivers, obviously, because it's Ferrari's movie. But I do think he has more drivers, though. But only by like one or something. I don't think it's like. Yeah, yeah. And this is one criticism that I had and even my wife had was that last race was a little hard to tell what was going on. Partly because both Maserati and Ferrari were driving red cars. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was not entirely fucking clear to me what the hell was going on there. 
Yeah. You have Patrick Dempsey with this silver fox hair, but you, of course, any driver is going to be having a helmet. So, like, you can't even tell that it's him, right? Like, everyone, everyone has helmets. And the only really way you could tell that particular driver was Patrick Dempsey was that he was, like, one of the ones that without a navigator, right? There's a line specifically mm-hmm. right, where right, 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 he's right. like, you don't get a navigator. I know you know this track. Which is also insane that you could hope to win carrying the extra weight of an entire human being. Also, does that death stat include the navigator? You know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know too much about this race. I didn't really look it up. I don't know if you guys did, but it seems like it's a race that like starts overnight and it's I don't know. Do you guys know like how many miles it is, how long it is? It's a Mila Mia, so it's a thousand miles. Oh, okay. it's literally That's a thousand miles. I mean almost, right? I think it's nine ninety two or something. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hmm And I can't do quick math. Like how long is it supposed to take? Well, the winner of this one won in ten hours, twenty seven minutes and forty seven seconds. Okay. Average speed mm-hmm. of ninety four miles an hour. Which yeah. is it doesn't sound that fast, but it also is a straight level ground or something. They're like going up mountains and like curvy roads and through towns and shit. And that's with stops and stuff too. Like stops to refuel and And that's what I was gonna say. Like I think he does a really great job of capturing like the scenery of this race, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not just on a track. It's going, like you said, through towns, yeah. narrow streets in between two buildings, farmlands. People are just standing off to the side watching this race. Yeah. It's basically going through, like, all of Italy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say, like, the power creep in sports is crazy, right? Because, like you said, Amir, how slow the cars are. A thousand miles, it's ten hours. But now, like, you have 24 hours of Le Mans, right? Like, that's the big race where cars are going 360 miles an hour for 24 hours straight. It's so inconceivable back then that it would even become something like that, right? As you can see, it, it was still dangerous back then from this 1957 crash. I think probably 360 kilometers an hour might be what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kilometers, yeah. Which is like 227 miles an hour. Which is still, which still double. double the speed. Yeah. So I think one character we've kind of alluded to, but we really haven't brought much attention to is the Alfonso de Portago character, right? He's like the guy Mm -hmm. who comes in and takes the spot of the guy who dies really in the movie. And he's kind of this big proponent of this race, right? Like we've been kind of following him. He's been doing okay for Ferrari. He's been given a spot in this race. We've met his Hollywood girlfriend. And throughout this whole movie, you're led to believe he's going to be this influential part. Maybe he's going to be the one that wins this race for Ferrari. But if you know anything about movies, you're kind of already expecting the worst for this guy, right? Mm -hmm. There is a point in the movie where they do a pit stop. Someone says like, hey, we probably should switch out these tires. And he's like, no, there's no time. I think I can make it. Let's just go. And Ferrari makes the decision. Yeah, just go. There's this point where he's driving through this farmland to the country. And for a second, it starts focusing on this family and they know that they're along the route of the race. The kids and the dad go outside. They're going to watch these cars whiz by their town. And Portago's racing along. And unfortunately, his tire hits some kind of bump in the road, some kind of object in the road. And it basically explodes his tire. And this car just rails out of control into the crowd of people, into this family. And it is a horrific scene in this movie. And this is the scene I was talking about, like just shocking. Well, it's not just that it veers off of course and hits people. It flips into the air and spins around. It hits a telephone pole and bounces off and flips through the crowd, flipping over and over. 
It's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. I audibly went, oh my God, and put my hand over my mouth in the theater. It's insane. I heard that this was nuts, and I was expecting like a fireball or something, like an explosion. And like, this was worse. The way the car like carves through those spectators. Yeah. It's wild. It does not shy away. It's probably like the single worst depiction of vehicular mayhem on camera. It's Dude. really <laughs> fucking crazy. You see Portugal cut in half. And you see like severed legs. You see the yeah. arms in the Dead ground. Dead kids. It's wild. Dead kids. It is wild. And I don't know if it's a criticism as much as this was tonally. I was not expecting this. And maybe that's part of the shock, right? But this felt like a very different movie. Because even the crash that we saw earlier in the movie wasn't like this. Yeah. For me, it was like, one, it was a little bit of a disconnect. Like, it really shook me out of being in this movie because I was like, holy crap, are we even allowed to see something like this? This feels too real. Yeah. It was just nuts. It was just nuts. Yeah, it's nasty. You mentioned, Jeff, that you watched Gran Turismo. There must have been a stark difference, right? Because there's a point in that movie where a car derails and, and like- And kills a pedestrian, like an onlooker too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's nowhere and You don't like see this, any of right? that. Yeah, like, no, you don't even <laughs> see it. Yeah, like that's, of course, that's a PG, what, 13 movie. It's tame. Yeah. You know, it's never going to do something like that. But this movie really helps you understand, like, how horrific this could have been, right? My wife was saying she could feel something was going to happen. You know, there was the scenes where it was going through the cities. She was like, really? Cars just were allowed back then to go through cities and, like, people are just standing there. There's no. And, like, why do they show you that family, right? Like, why yes, are you showing exactly. these kids or whatever? Like, <laughs> oh, is something going to happen to these kids? Yeah. yeah. Hey, you want to change your tire? Nah. <laughs> <you> know, <like laughs> that's another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the movie was definitely setting up for this scene. But even if you felt like you knew what was happening or what was going to come, you weren't prepared for what you were going to see in this scene. Very wild. Very graphic. Very, very hard to watch, in my opinion. And you know that photo that they take with Linda Christian and Deportago is, like, very, very famous, right? It's called The Kiss of Death because she kisses him, like, the stop before the crash, right? And they take a picture of it. And that's, like, one of the really famous photos. And Deportago was, like, kind of a heartthrob. He was, like, Spanish royalty or, like, an aristocrat. And people loved him. People were shocked by his death. He was only 28 when he died. Jeez. Linda Christian was an American actress and... It was shocking for people. Ferrari, you know, and his team do end up winning this race. Maserati, his last driver is basically derailed also. He doesn't die. Ironically, it's funny. He gets picked up by uh, a Ferrari driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the Patrick Dempsey character, like, ultimately wins this race, right? And, of course, this is supposed to be part of the movie we've been mentioning. If he wins this race, it'll help his business. And it's supposed to be this kind of joyous moment. But then it's... Of course, juxtaposed to this horrific crash where people are questioning like the safety and the decisions of Ferrari and his cars. There is a little bit of turmoil, but I will say that there is no like teeth to this. Ultimately, you know, this is near the end of the movie. Yeah, the movie ends pretty quickly after this. Yeah. And say like, oh, everything was fine. To be clear, Enzo Ferrari is sued for manslaughter Mm -hmm. because like 10 people, five children died. Yes. Right. So. He's sued for manslaughter, and I guess in the end, he's not convicted. But yeah, this is like a big deal. This race is, within three days of the crash, immediately stopped forever. Yeah, it's the last one. (laughs) This is the last one, right? Okay. I think they do something like it today in like older cars or whatever, but it's nothing like Mm -hmm. what they used to do. Were you guys curious about like in the investigation, like what actually happened? Either you guys look into this? 
No. So apparently, and I'm not like an expert either. I was just doing a little looking earlier. Apparently, that thing in the road that he hits is like a mile marker. Mm. Mm. And it was doing between 140 and 160 when it hit the telephone pole. And then they think maybe like the telephone wires are what severed to Protago's body, which is like insane. Apparently, I read something, and I don't know if it's entirely true, but the tire thing is not completely far off. Apparently, like the original investigation showed that he like waited too long to replace his worn tire. That is a real tidbit there. It's not like some made up thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and I think a man did really try to depict this like as correctly as possible. I do think that whole tire setup thing is real. I guess yeah. the question is, ultimately, that's what I think some of the characters say in the movie is that, well, it was just kind of a freak accident, right? Like, would that have happened to any tire, right, that hits that particular marker at, you know, 140 miles an hour, right? I mean, who knows? Yeah. I guess you'd have to look at the records from the trial or whatever, like the forensic investigations to figure it out. But um, I don't know. So the trailers for this movie depict the crash, but not like the car plowing into the audience, obviously. Yes. But it shows the car lifting off the road and bouncing off the telephone pole. And people were like, this looks like shit. (laughs) But people were so mad. They're like, this movie looks like dog shit. What's the CGI? But within the context of that scene... I didn't notice that CGI. Oh, no. I thought all. it looked incredible. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it looked incredible, but like the shock and horror of it is so visceral that you don't even think about the yeah. CGI, which means it worked, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, yeah. Completely fitting with how ridiculous the deaths of those people are, right? Like, yeah. you don't really think about how the CGI physics don't really work. I didn't think about any of that stuff. Even if I did, it was gone in a second. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. You don't exactly. have time to even think about that. Did you guys see that press tour with Adam Driver and someone's like, uh, what do you say about everyone who says the car crash effects look cheesy? And Adam Driver's like, well, fuck you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think about crash scenes? Uh, they, they looked pretty harsh, drastic, and I must say, cheesy for me. What do you think about that? <laughs> fuck you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. I love Michael Mann and Adam Driver on tour. They're really funny. Man, Adam Driver, I know we've probably said this before, but just add another director to his belt. Like, right? He's worked with so many great directors. And yeah, honestly, he's one of my favorite actors working right now. For me, put him in anything, I guess, except for 65. Even then, I feel like I haven't seen it, but I feel like it's okay for a Adam Driver fights dinosaurs movie. Like, I'll watch that, you know? Was it not good at all? I kind of remember it. I saw it and I was like, no, he can't even save this. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you guys want to bring up? I want to ask you guys. So my wife has a debate with a bunch of her friends. Is Adam Driver hot? <laughs> no comment? I don't know. Like, I get why she asked that question. By the way, she fucking loves Adam Driver. She thinks he's so hot. So, like, I get exactly why she asked that question. He's not, like, conventionally attractive. Attractive or handsome. I mean, he's, like, a tall, built, rich, famous Hollywood actor. Okay, fine. But, like, in his looks, he's not, like, a Brad Pitt or something like that, right? Yeah. Where, like, anyone could go, like, okay, he's clearly very conventionally attractive. Like, I get it. I assume he's an acquired taste, but I don't really have an opinion on whether that's my taste or not. It's not my thing. I think the thing is that he's interesting looking. That's a great way to put it. He's interesting looking. He's interesting looking, and he has charisma. Mm -hmm. He's got the Riz, right? I think that's what it is. 
What were you going to say, Derek? I was going to say, I don't know my wife's opinion on Adam Driver, but she would say that uh, normally she's not a facial hair person, right? She doesn't like facial hair, especially like long beards or beards. I will say, in my opinion, I think he looks better with a beard. What does he have a beard in? Uh, in 65, he has a beard. Oh, okay. I've barely seen anything with him with a beard, so. Yeah, I, I think okay, typically he doesn't, but like, I'm just looking at that picture. And I think he has okay. a beard in Black Klansman. I do think he looks better with the full set of facial hair. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> and girls, right? Isn't girls he has a beard? No, no. I no. think he's clean okay. shaven in he's girls. Shaven? He's okay. so young in girls. That's true. Speaking of interesting looking people. Uh, I know this is like a little bit of a derail, but I was just rewatching Burn After Reading. Tilda Swinton's in that category for me. Of like yeah. interesting oh, yeah. looking actors. You know what I mean? Because uh, we just saw her in The Killer, right? And yeah. you're just like every time you see her on screen, you're like, that is an interesting looking person. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the same way as like, I don't know, like someone like James Gandolfini is interesting looking an actor because he looks like a normal human being, right? Yeah. Tilda Swinton's interesting looking because she doesn't look like anybody you've ever met. Yeah, she's, like, otherworldly a little bit. Interesting, you know? right. Whereas, like, yeah. someone like Gandolfini is, like, regular Joe interesting. It's like, oh, you don't see that in Hollywood. Gandolfini's interesting looking in the same way that, like, I don't know, Francis McDormand is, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, Tilda Swinton's interesting looking in the way that, like, I don't know, Adam Driver is or something. Yeah. I think the correct term these days is ugly hot. <laughs> oh, <Christ. laughs> I don't know if I like that people one. People are saying, like, people like Adam Driver... Or ugly hot. You know who else fits in that category? Jeremy Allen White from The Bear. Really? And The Iron Claw. People are like, oh, he's ugly hot. <laughs> I don't think he's ugly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're just plain good looking. They're just interesting looking, right? They're just not yeah, like yeah. conventionally handsome. So ugly hot is a little mean. I don't think that's fair. I mean, this is all on the scale of Hollywood actors, too. Yeah, like, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Like... <laughs> Not judging them versus normal people either, right? Judged against other people you see on screen, right? Yeah. Adam Driver facial hair. Watch. So you can watch Silence. <laughs> you can watch Logan Lucky. That's true. Black Clans. Oh, he did have <laughs> Okay, interesting. But if I'm missing any other good Adam Driver facial hair moments, please let me know. <laughs> wow. The Adam Driver facial hair minute with Derek. <laughs> And so I'm pretty sure inside Lewin Davis, he had facial hair, which I love that movie and I love him in that movie. But yeah, is there anything else you guys want to bring up? We're going pretty long for Ferrari. This is one of our longer episodes. Anything else you guys want to bring up? I mean, I love this movie. Top 10 for you guys or you don't know? Okay. I will say that after this conversation. I sold you? I don't know if you sold me, but I actually (laughs) see more of why you're interested in this movie. But I will say I don't think it'll make my top 10. So one of the comments on my review is, beautiful piece, you've fully changed my mind. Ferrari is good now. Oh, one you go. hater at a time, I'm changing my You got minds. one person. You got one person. That's all you need. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if it makes my top 10, but it's not not in the running. I like have to make a list. Yeah, you have to sit down it. and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not yeah. a number one for me, right? But I did like it. We'll have to yeah. sit down and think about the movies of the year. And pretty quick here now, yeah. we're already in 2024. Yeah, pretty soon. Pretty soon, I think we're going to have to record that episode. So Yeah, we're dropping that soon. But it's up there for me. And, you know, like, this movie really fits into Michael Mann's filmography quite neatly. Like, I pointed this out before, but, like, you know, in the movie Heat, Al Pacino, late in the movie, he's like, all I am is what I'm going after, right? Like, that's, like, a through line for all of Michael Mann's movies. Like, all these damaged men, their obsessions. The obsessive, super talented professional who's like... Yeah. yeah. There's, like, the fallout from all their terrible decisions and all the collateral damage. 
There's even a movie called Collateral, you know? It's good stuff. It's a very strong through line throughout his work, and this one's no different. Really strong stuff. And people are underestimating it a little bit, I think. I think that's what happens with a lot of the later Michael Mann movies, and I don't know. I think people will come around. All right, well, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Uh, Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? You can find me subscribing to Derek's new Adam Driver facial hair podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's starting up very, very soon. You could find me at the world's okayest photos. I do realize that I don't really post that much on Instagram. I apologize. But guys, I'm not a big person of resolutions and stuff. Like I don't typically do that, but it is the new year. We'll mark this under resolution, but I am going to try to actually attend to my letterbox a little bit more this year. Yes, please do. <laughs> I've logged a couple of the movies I've seen since the holidays. I'm going to go back and maybe try to do some of my lists, like, especially like our top 10 of 2021, 2022, you know, go back and like mm-hmm. throw those in. I don't know if I'll write reviews for everything, but if you want to follow me on Letterboxd so that you can kind of, kind of follow my movie journey throughout 2024, that'd be great. That's at the wrong daic. That's my old tag. I'm on Letterboxd too, so I should start plugging my Letterboxd as well. Amir, you're going to stick to the letterbox this year? Maybe try and get some entries up yeah, there? Yeah, I don't know. All right. I'm getting peer pressured into a New Year's resolution. <laughs> <laughs> help, help. I'm being repressed. You don't even have to write anything. Just log the movies and... Just log my stuff? All right, all right, all right. I'll do it. You know what? You don't even have to give, like, star ratings. You can just put a heart next to the ones you like. Don't put a heart next to the ones you don't like. That's Man, all. They're very binary rating system. I like it. <laughs> yeah, nice. binary yeah. rating system. Thumbs yeah, up, yeah. thumbs down. The new yeah. Roger Ebert. Let's go. Would or wouldn't. <laughs> but if you liked this podcast the easiest way to support our show is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts whether it be apple spotify google or any of the other popular apps if you're listening to us on apple or spotify please do us a favor and give us a great rating it really helps to get our voices out to more people yeah if you have any questions comments suggestions on michael mann's ferrari feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com we like getting listener mail and sometimes we read it out on the pod with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.